As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back to Power Hour, a weekly show hosted by me, Nicole Auerbach. I am joined today, as always, by The Athletic Senior Writer, Chris Vanini. Chris, hello. Nicole, good to be back. Spring games are happening. Spring uh, season tickets are selling out. Lots to talk about. A, a lot to talk about. We are fully in spring football mode, and also the transfer portal is humming. There is lots of little news that we want to get to as well. Um, in terms of the recruiting calendar, official visits, we will get into all of those impactful pieces of news in just a second. As a reminder, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on the Andy Staples Show and Friends feed. Of course, Andy and Ari are up to their usual antics, even in the off-season, and Max and Sam and Ubbin and everybody will be on the feed, so be sure to stay tuned here throughout the off-season. On today's episode of Power Hour, we will break down everything you need to know in college football in an hour or less. We will start, as we always do, with the Power Five in true Power Hour fashion. We give ourselves eh, about a minute to cover one of the hottest topics in college football before the buzzer sounds, and it's time to move on to the next. So we've got some interesting and varied topics to get through today. I will start with number one. Arch Manning will not be the starter at Texas, at least not now. Sark, after Texas' spring game, said, quote, I think it's pretty clear to say Quinn's our starting quarterback, and we feel very good about that. That's obviously about Quinn Ewers. We saw him last season when he wasn't injured. He finished 16 of 23 passing for 195 yards and a touchdown, didn't commit a turnover, and, uh, you know, he just played really well through the spring. Sarkeesian has said multiple times this spring that he has made a lot of progress in his game, personal development, and that he grew a uh, quote from Quinn Ewers after spring, the spring game was, I didn't like where I was at last year. Obviously something had to change. If I want to end up where I want to be in the future, I'm eating a lot better. I'm doing all the small things a lot harder and I'm excited. Now this is an interesting one to get that kind of declaration from Sark so early on in this process that it is still spring. This is not a competition that is going to really stretch into fall camp. But also that this is the decision. I think a lot of people, despite the fact that Quinn Ewers 
was there, was entrenched, also was an incredibly highly touted recruit, assumed that this would probably just be Arch Manning. That's the whole point of winning the Arch Manning sweepstakes. So, Chris, what was your reaction to these comments from Sark? Yeah, to your point, I mean, credit to Sark for essentially naming a starting quarterback coming out of spring. So many, it's so rare we get that now. Every quarterback battle goes into fall camp and then coaches won't announce who it is. And then we got to wait to see who comes out for the first game. And it's so tiresome. And that's not what happened. He said it's it's Quinn Ewers. Now, I, I, I don't think he said that out of fear Ewers might transfer or anything like that. Sometimes, you know, you we mean saw Arch. Baylor last year. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I meant like if he didn't name Quinn Ewers a starter, he was going to transfer oh, gotcha, or something like gotcha. that. The, 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 like, like how we got at Baylor last year when Dave Aranda had to pick a guy because the other guy was going to uh, transfer. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like Quinn Ewers was really, really good in that first half against Alabama, and then he got hurt. And then he was never quite the same the rest of the year, and he struggled more as the year went on. But we got to remember just how, like, excited we were about him in the Alabama game. And remember, like Arch Manning is a hundred grade recruit coming in, but so was Quinn Ewers. Like he was, he's one of the highest graded uh, quarterback recruits of all time. It was just a while ago because he spent two years in college now. So this doesn't surprise me. Ultimately, um, I, I think I have to imagine Arch Manning knew it was a possibility when he chose Texas. This is the number one thing we all talked about is, who's exactly going to start and what happens if one of them doesn't get the job. So uh, credit to Sark for taking out some of the drama and naming a guy. I have to imagine Arch Manning was fine with that. And so, yeah, no, no Texas drama going into the summer. And that's kind of rare, I guess. Yeah. And it's, you know, these, these types of moves always are risky. I know Arch just got there, but you're looking at, like a transfer portal window open right now. And we're seeing a lot of players go in and out and um, it's, it's just always going to be risky to make decisions at this time. So yeah, I think what happens next, how does Arch handle this? Um, you know, what happens the first time Quinn struggles a little bit in a game, like all of that is going to be really fascinating here. And you don't see quarterbacks of this type of caliber sit very often. I I'm thinking, about the only situation where I felt like it, it actually worked out, which recent years, like J.J. McCarthy, right, where he was okay coming off the bench in specific pack packages behind Cade McNamara for the first year and then obviously won the starting job last year. But I, I really don't think you get a lot of these types of guys going into places that they're not sure that they can be named the starter. The other one that jumps out is Trevor Lawrence. Uh yeah, eventually replacing Kelly Bryant as well. So it's happened. Um, it's uh, yeah, you're right. It does not happen very often, though. Although I guess it technically happened with Quinn Ewers at Ohio State, <laughs> Ohio State, the brief time he was there, too. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. And if Quinn Ewers has a really big year, he could leave for the NFL draft and then it's Arch Manning's team. So, like, there is a you know, we, we wonder, can Texas thread this needle? Like, are they going to be able to keep both guys happy? And at least so far, you know, through one spring, it seems to be working. So credit to them for that. Number two, we have a new college football conference, kind of, not technically. So in FCS, the A-Sun and the WAC have had a football scheduling partnership for the last two years, where basically they work together as one type of conference the winner gets an automatic bid to the FCS playoffs. That waiver is ending soon, and they want to become their own conference, potentially moving up to FBS at some point. 
on Monday, they announced that they are now the United Athletic Conference. They will have their own governing documents and all these kinds of things. Oliver Luck, who has been with the group for a little bit, is the executive director. He's not technically the commissioner. And so they want to say, hey, we're a, we're a football-only conference here. It's part of the A-Sun, you know, the WAC and the A-Sun together in football. And they want to be their own conference. But they're technically not that yet. And I know a lot of people saw the press release and everything and thought, hey, you know, they're, they're an official conference now. Not yet, because there is an NCAA moratorium on single-sport conferences that went in place in April 2020. And that is still in place. And as of February, the Division I Council and the Football Oversight Committee did not support the move. Um, but I, I asked somebody in the group and they said, look, we think having it, having a name showing that we have everything in place to be a conference will convince the board of directors at the end of April to allow us to be a single sport conference. Uh, as for moving to FBS, I think they like to talk a big game. I think it's very unlikely to happen considering some of the schools that are in that league, but it's a very aggressive thing that these conferences need to do because they don't have a lot of members. Uh, so yeah. The United Athletic Conference. What do you think of the name? I think the name's pretty solid, especially since we're talking about schools in different parts of the country, right? I mean, yes. these are, you had to come up with something that was national, broad. Um, I, I think it works. I think it's certainly better than what people have been calling it, right? Which was the A Sun Whack. What were they like? Well, some people uh, called it the Whack Sun, I, some people called it the Whack Sun. Kind of like Wax Sun reminds me of Pack Sun, so I do like that. Just it was making yeah, it does Pack Sun. That's cool. I was thinking Karate Kid uh, <laughs> with that. No, uh, either but... way, well, either way, it's they're throwbacks. Uh, no, I, I mean I think it makes sense, but I'm I'm definitely curious about what you're describing about you know one sport leagues and just sort of what's allowed. I mean, so much of what we've talked about over the last year with NCAA reform and the transformation committee was trying to like set expectations for division one athletes in all sports, right. To have like a consistent experience and certain resources. And so I, I wonder how that stuff is going to play into, you know, conference realignment as people move into division one or people try to create new sport leagues and things like that. So I'm going to be interested to see what happens there. Okay. Let's get into number three. Um, some scary news over the weekend was that Ohio State offensive coordinator Brian Hartline was hospitalized after an ATV flipped with a passenger on board. Um, there have been some details that have come out from um, some of the, uh, sorry, the sheriff's office, the Delaware County Sheriff's Office released new details about the accident on Monday said that Brian Hartline had been drinking, was operating the utility terrain vehicle when it crashed early Sunday, hours after Ohio State's spring game. It sent him and one other person to the hospital, and uh, Hartline was discharged on Monday afternoon, finally. Uh, there are no charges right now, um, but a scary situation, and it, it happened just after uh, Ohio State's spring game, and, and uh, you know, hopefully everyone's going to be okay. Yeah, uh, Hartline tweeted that that he was okay. Yeah, kind of a scary situation. Um, I don't know if we've gotten details yet on the passenger or not. It, it, it has, as of now, no charges have been filed, but it's always possible something happens. But yeah, I guess thankful that most 
everybody seems to be okay after this. Uh, yeah, drinking and operating an ATV, uh, be careful with that, people. Be careful. Number four, kind of an under-the-radar pretty big story that happened in college football last week. There is now no limit on official visits for players. Um, the old rule for a long time was you get five official visits. Players can do five official visits. An official visit is when the school pays for you to come. They pay for your family. They give you a whole a whole big thing. Uh, our colleague Sam Kahn did a good story last year on Arch Manning's official visit weekend when Texas spent more than $280,000 uh, for that, not just for Arch, but for, for the whole weekend. Um, the, the, you can now do one visit per school or two if there's a head coaching change. Uh, and there's also fewer off-campus spring recruiting days. This is a pretty big deal. Recruiting budgets are going to go up because, like I just said, it costs money to bring kids on official visits. And there's a lot of concern and question on who will benefit from this. I had a Power 5 head coach reach out to me last week about this and who was really, really upset about it. And ultimately, it's it's kind of who is going to benefit from this. I, I think one the richest schools probably will because they're the ones who can afford to bring kids on more official visits. Um, and, and, and what does this mean for players? Are they going to take 10 official visits? Now, if you're, if you're someone with offers from every SEC school, are you going to visit all of them? Uh, are you going to visit schools that you're not actually interested in now? That's something some coaches think. Could group of five schools get more official visits out of this? Um, I, I think it's not clear yet. But I think the only thing that is, is clear is that recruiting budgets are going to go up. And uh, so, yeah, this is quietly a pretty big change for recruiting. Yeah, I saw a couple coaches commenting about how they're fully supportive with like no limits on unofficial visits and, and things that the, the recruit and their family want to check out and do on their own schedule and dime. But that this would, like you just said, it's going to be very expensive. There's going to be a, a significant increase in in costs for the schools. But also, this person was just saying these jobs that assistant coaches have and do are already so 24-7. And this is going to continue to take time away from their families and all these other um, things that they might be trying to get to squeeze in there if there are more official visits. Um, so it, the, the fallout of this is going to be very interesting. I mean, at some point, you know, even some of the rich schools, you're not going to be able to just do an unlimited amount of visits. Like you're going to have to set caps. It's, it's sort of, it's one of the things I keep thinking about where, you know, everyone's just been so hyper-focused on, on revenue streams and spending and an arms race in college sports. But like, at some point, people are going to have to make hard decisions, right? You're going to have to say you can't do, you know, beyond a certain number, right? You, well, you have to figure out who wants to be there and who doesn't want to be there. And, and as, this, as this Power 5 coach said to me, he was like, most kids know where they want to go. They know their two or three favorite schools. They don't even maybe even need all five official visits necessarily. But now they can... Uh, now they can take as many as they want. And it, it's kind of up to the schools, like you said, to figure out, do we have a real shot at this kid? How much it, it's a, it's a question staffs always deal with, with players, which is, do we have a chance right. for this kid? And uh, is it worth investing time and money in him? Now that's investing more money and more time in him and figuring that out. But if you have a larger staff and more people who can get in contact with the kid and stuff like that, it, it, it kind of changes that too. All I, one thing I thought from this kind of in a, 
in a joking way, obviously, but all I could think of this was, man, Hawaii football might be one mega donor away from competing for the college football playoff. Because if you could get somebody to fund all these official visits to Hawaii now, I mean, the Rainbow Warriors could be rolling in five-star talent. I, I would love to do that. And we can all make various trips to Hawaii, pilgrimages to to tell these stories. But this is actually, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, that's actually always been a dynamic that Hawaii has had to figure out better than anybody else was who is serious about this and wants to mm-hmm. take a trip to come visit us because they're actually seriously considering us versus wanting to take a vacation. So that dynamic of, of having to really sift through and figure out motivations has always been true for Hawaii. Um, but yes, that would be a place that I would love to see a uh, John Ruiz like level of investment from a donor or, you know, some really massive collective work. Like let's get Hawaii football. Who, who, who Who's a, a big Hawaii like celebrity. I don't even know. Jimmy Buffett. He wears Hawaiian shirts. I don't know who's like a big celebrity associated with Hawaii. Yeah, but Jimmy Buffett, Omaha, Nebraska. Like that's where his money and energy go. No, yeah, War- we- that's Warren Buffett. Jimmy Buffett. The oh, singer. I said Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. My yeah. brain is not working on this day. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe Jimmy Buffett. Um, I mean, I just think, you know, there's a lot of celebrities who have houses in Hawaii. Maybe one of them is a sports fan and has decided to invest in the Rainbow Warriors. You know, honestly, our pals at home field, they would be very much game for this. Their Hawaii merch is, is some of their best. So uh, Nicole Kidman, I think, was born in Hawaii, according to this quick uh, Google search. Obviously, Barack Obama as well. So I, I think if they can come together and create a uh, an Obama, Kidman, Jason Momoa collective, I think Hawaii okay. football could uh, could make a run here. All right. That is a tangent I didn't expect us to go on here in the Power, uh, power 5. Here's number five, getting back to the actual news. Um, Chris and I will be covering uh, the spring college football playoff meetings next week in just outside of Dallas. It's, it's one that there's not typically news that comes out of it. Um, it's just a really good time to get a little time around these commissioners. They are essentially doing a year end review about how last year's college football playoff went. Uh, the athletic directors of the four participating teams come and sort of talk about their experiences. They'll meet with their media partners And obviously there's a lot that needs to be worked through and decided about the 12 team college football playoff and what that's going to look like in 2024 and 2025. So we'll be asking questions about all of that. I've also been told that Tony Petiti, the new big 10 commissioner will be at this meeting. This was something that was a goal all along. If if you look at kind of the weirdness of this timeline here, you had the big 10 make their announcement last week in mid early to mid April but he's not starting until mid-May, and they obviously named an interim commissioner for the meantime. But making that hire by mid-April means that this person, who is now Tony Petiti, will be able to be at this meeting where all of the other FBS commissioners and Notre Dame athletic director Jack Swarbrick will be there, and all of the CFP officials will be there. And again, the media partners and the people that you need to be well-versed with and working with media consultants, everyone will be there. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm excited to uh, actually get to meet Tony as well as I'm sure you are. And and I think too, the questions really will be about how this is going to work for 2024 and 2025. We, we've written about 
the calendar and kind of the windows and going up against the NFL or not? And will there be a push to go to week zero 2026 and beyond with the calendar just to, to space out December a little bit? That's a little bit of a long-term question. I, I do think, you know, figuring out exactly how this is going to work for the final two years, of the current contract will be a pressing matter, but I'm, I'm interested to see, all of this, especially now that dust has settled on expansion and that we know that this is happening, it, it that whole process was in season last year. It was up against deadlines and, you know, hard conversations with the Rose Bowl and all these different dynamics were playing out. So now that it's been a few months, the dust has settled. We know that this is happening. You've got a new person in the room. I'm interested to see how this all plays out next week. Yeah, and speaking to Tony Petiti, for people who missed last week's episode, we did an entire episode, Nicole and I, on Petiti and what the Big Ten is getting in the new commissioner. So go check that out. And to your point about the CFP, yeah, like now, now is the time to finally get into the nitty gritty. We, You and I were there in, in L.A. around the championship game when they had a, a CFP meeting, and not much happened at that. It was basically just catching up on things. So now you have to get into the nitty gritty of the schedule of um, how you're how you're laying out games, how you're getting everything in sent. The logistics for these games is massive in terms of all the manpower you need to help to build, to, 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 to stock up stadiums and, and tickets and all this kinds of stuff. And now you're going to have to be doing that with on campus stadiums who won't even know until a few weeks beforehand. So, and obviously the, the next TV deal as well, which Petiti I'm sure will play a big role in that. So, not expecting any news to come out of the meeting necessarily, but we may get kind of a step forward on what they're looking at and what the possibilities are. And again, I think it's going to be interesting to um, for Tony Petiti to be in that room and get that dynamic. You know, you and I have covered a lot of these meetings over the last few years. And I think the interpersonal relationship piece is always a very interesting uh, palace intrigue angle to all of this, but I'm just always interested in, especially when you're hiring people from outside of college sports, how that works. How does that person get up to speed? How do they figure out their stances on things? How vocal are they in these rooms, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And from what we've been told, you know, Tony Petiti is really good at building consensus. He's a really good listener. He is a little bit of a quieter guy he may not be taking over these meetings but when he talks you listen so gonna be really interested to to watch all of that and we'll obviously have more coverage on power hour next week about our impressions from that meeting and conversations that we've had around it um and i i think too you know i i would also recommend if anyone is interested in like cfp negotiations uh richard deitch had an interesting conversation on his podcast this week uh, with some some guests just sort of speculating around it in for, in an informed way um, about just sort of what it would mean if if ESPN weren't going to kind of own the finish line. They own the regular season so much of this sport, but it's kind of a dynamic that I think about with March Madness where ESPN covers the regular season and then CBS and Turner take over for the postseason. So all of those dynamics of who's going to get the rights, how will they be structured for, you know, kind of the indefinite future going to be really, really interesting, especially because we've heard so much from, you know, other commissioners like uh, Kevin Warren, who's, you know, is now with the bears, but also George Klavkoff and other guys saying that they wanted multiple media partners involved in getting that investment from other partners. So anyway, read 
uh, or listen to Deitch's podcast and you can get a little bit more on that front. And that's, again, a little bit more longer term, but it's going to be a, a pressing conversation. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's switch gears and go to our happy hour segment. This is the part of the show we talk about something that gives us joy, something that people are excited about, something that people are happy about. So, Chris, I will let you get us started here. So, Florida State is kind of rolling right now. They, on Monday, flipped five-star tight end Landon Thomas away from Georgia. That moves FSU up to the number five class of 2024, according to 24-7 Sports, with 11 commits, including the one five-star and six four-stars. And Florida State's really turned this thing around. You know, it was not long ago that Florida State missed two bowl games under Mike Norvell, and Travis Hunter flipped to Jackson State, and we everybody had a giant fire Mike Norvell Twitter space, you know, that was, that was going around. And now Florida State has a really solid season next year, brings almost all of that talent back this year. A, a, a dark horse CFP pick from a lot of people, I think. And recruiting is starting to pick up as well. And we've talked about Florida State before on here and that a lot of their NIL focus has been on keeping players, either keeping them in school or keeping them from transferring. And as a result, a number of really talented players have returned from last year's team. So Florida State, really seems to be rolling right now. And most importantly, they revealed new jerseys over the weekend, which if if you are like me and you have been really bothered by that pattern on the shoulders and the collars that they've had for a number of years now, basically since Jameis's last season, man, they've had those for almost 10 years, haven't they? They finally shrunk it a lot just to put on the kind of the bottom of the shoulders and, and then on the collar. And now it finally looks like the Florida state we remember from the late nineties and most of the two thousands, which I think was one of the sharpest uniforms in college football. So that is back. It was like not long after that news that they got a five-star tight end. So I don't think those things are, are unrelated. I think the new uniforms are why they got a five-star player. I've got some uniform takes that I'm going to save uh, for, for last call, but I, I agree with that assessment of where FSU is. I'll make the point that I always make that patience can be a virtue in these worlds and that people really put very compressed timelines on turnarounds. And it's been cool to see Mike Norvell's program take those steps and build and build and build in the way that you know, we're, we used to see rebuilds and, and you used to see people taking those steps and not skipping any and people, you know, allowing 
the the coaching staff and and the recruiting classes and people to get their guys in and and get these things done. Okay, my uh, happy hour topic that I wanted to bring up. We've talked a lot about Colorado and understandably so. I mean, the whole reason that you hire a uh, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, is to get people talking about Colorado in a way that they absolutely were not before. So here's another example of where that pays off. Um, the University of Colorado announced this week that they have officially sold out of season tickets for the 2023 football season. So a couple of milestones here. This is just the ninth sellout for season tickets in program history. And it's the first time that they've done this in almost 30 years. Last time they sold out season tickets was 1986. And... It is also the first time that they have ever sold out of season tickets before August. And it's April. So we are well ahead of that. We are buzzing about spring football. Um, and here's a quote from Colorado Athletic Director Rick George. Uh, Selling out at the earliest point before a season in our history is a testament to our fans' thirst to see a championship caliber on the field field the 100th season at Folsom Field will be a special one with coach Prime's first team and a tremendous home schedule on tap uh so this is going to be really great for Colorado fans and it's going to be an awesome atmosphere for these players um and for Dion and for everything that they're doing in year one but this is where you see actual impact of a hire like this like we've seen it in yeah there's earned media and people are talking about Colorado but also the excitement around the spring game, the fact that ESPN is it was going to televise it and now also selling out season tickets. Like these are real tangible steps um, and responses to a hire like that. So again, we don't know what's realistic to accomplish in year one for Dion. You know, the bar is very low with what he's inherited and where the program has been in recent years, but the fan excitement is there. The fan buy-in is there. Uh, and that's pretty cool. So I, I love when fan bases get excited about something and they have every reason to. So that's pretty cool that it is mid April and Colorado has already sold out of their season ticket allotment. This is wild. I mean, sold out of season tickets already. I did. I gotta say of all the things that have happened under Deion Sanders and at Colorado, this is the most surprising to me. Like we knew he would be able to get talented players to come in and all this kinds of stuff, but to sell out season tickets in April before he coached the game is wild to me. And that just goes to show that there is a massive uh, fan base there that has just been tapped out for a while and that they are still there and willing to do that. Now I pulled up Colorado schedule. It's a pretty darn good schedule too. They got Nebraska at home. Obviously the, the long, the old rivalry, Colorado state arrival, USC, and then Stanford, Oregon state, Arizona. So those first handful of games are really, really big games for Colorado. Yes, but this is still a team that was a one-win team last year. Yes. So They're like, probably going to lose schedule, most of these games. Right, yes. right. Even with a good schedule, it doesn't necessarily mean that like people are going to – the butts are going to be in the seats. So it's, 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 it's very cool to see that. And I think you're right about like this is a big milestone. Like this is not people showing up to the spring game one day, one commitment. This is a season-long commitment and a fan base that is clearly hungry to be good at football again. Yeah, and we don't they didn't announce what the specific number was from what I could 
from what I could find. I think they said they had at least 20,000 people requesting season tickets. Uh, so, so that's good. But yeah, also, this doesn't mean every game is a sellout. It just means every season ticket package is a sellout. So yes, if they are one in five, one in six to start the season and you've got Arizona or, you know, <laughs> on November 11th, maybe you're not getting a sellout there. And we do think Colorado is probably going to struggle this first season just because of it's a tough schedule and a tough league and you're a one win team from last year. So, uh, but, but, but still you're right. This is the tangible Dion effect that benefits your school. That is not just Dion. Like a lot of things Dion Sanders does are for Dion Sanders and understandably so, but this is the kind of thing getting donors, getting fans to purchase season tickets to come back to games who maybe haven't done it in a long time. This is the kind of thing this is one of the major reasons you hired Deion Sanders even before whether or not you think he can win. So um, very cool. Very cool for Colorado. So let, let's talk about another first year head coach, because I know you just spent some time with Trent Dilfer and his UAB program. A lot of people were very interested in, in your piece about this program, about the hire, how things are working so far. So uh, let me just give you the floor here and, and let's talk about, the excitement and the questions around UAB football. Yeah, look, when, when, when Trent Dilfer was announced as the head coach in late November, I, like everybody else, was like, huh? Like that just, it, it kind of felt random and felt out of nowhere. You heard rumblings of a search that had kind of gone awry, so to speak. And you know, after Trent Dilfer got introduced as a head coach, I think everybody just kind of forgot about it because it's, because it, you know, it's a group of five team UAB and people didn't really come around on it. And Deion Sanders gathered all the attention. If not for Deion Sanders, Trent Dilfer might be the highest profile name uh, that is hired as a head coach. So I went to UAB, spent a day with them to figure out like, all right, is there a plan here? Is this legit? What is going on? And I came away feeling that there very much is a plan that Trent Dilfer has everything that he wants to do in mind and he's executing upon that. Will it work? I don't know. We never know if any coach is going to work. Just look at the coaching regrades I do every year, and you see how many we get wrong on these things. But, you know, he came from Lipscomb Academy, a very rich private school in Nashville, which he had turned into a two-time state champion. And he ran the Elite 11 quarterback camp. So he's been around football for a while and doing this a bit. The one thing he hasn't really done is recruiting. And so one of the most important things he did, I think at UAB was dramatically expand that recruiting staff. They used to have one full-time staffer there at UAB for recruiting. Now they have six. Uh, they, they got a pretty good recruit to come in late in the process last year. So I, I think he's got a good vision on that. One of the most interesting things I found was that he has what they basically call a wheel of accountability, which is, you divide the team into 12 different platoons and it's up to the platoons to keep everybody in line. If somebody in the platoon misses a academic meeting or something like that, you get a spin of the wheel and the different things on the wheel could be a sled push. It could be, you got to pick up Trent Dilfer's dog's poop. Trent Dilfer's dog's there is a dog is there every day, or you can do community service to get out of that kind of stuff. And he said it worked at Lipscomb. So it's kind of just an interesting thing there how so how do i yeah how, wait how do i get uh team football players to pick up my dog's poop how do i implement this well first you got to become a coach uh and so okay. if you can 
check with if somebody there in Chicago, well. Steve. They will. Yeah. Okay. So okay. the the dog, by the way, just stays in his office all day. I, its name is Nala. It's a Rhodesian Ridgeback uh, mix. Before you go into Trentovo's office, he holds the dog and says, are you okay with dogs? It's like the first thing he asks everybody. Because uh, apparently one person was not, and it was a whole thing. Uh, I, as people know, am in a family house full of dogs. So I was like, yeah, no, it's fine. And so the dog was nice. It just slept the whole time that I was in the office. Uh, very nice building they hit there, have there at UAB, by the way. When that program died and then it came back, they built a really, really nice football building. And that is why people think UAB is a really good job. That is why UAB football is now in the American Athletic Conference this year, because it's a one of the better group of five jobs, which is why a lot of people were surprised that Trent Dilfer, without any college experience, got the job. Ultimately, I think Trent Dilfer's got a pretty good plan. Like, he's not coming in this, you know, not knowing what to do. Like, everything there is set. It was a fun vibe around the building and everything like that. Um, I think there's the biggest question will come. One, his staff is very inexperienced. Only three of the 10 full-time coaches have been a FBS position coach before. Alex Mortensen is the offensive coordinator. He was an analyst at Alabama for eight or nine years. He's the son of Chris Mortensen. Um, so I think that's a big question. Like when, when, when they struggle a bit, you know, that first year, because they have a tough schedule in the American, how do they handle that? How do they react? Those are the things we don't know yet. So, you know, I, I went into it and I came out saying like, this isn't a joke. This isn't a gimmick. This is, he's fully in on this. Trent Dilfer is, uh, there's just unknowns that come with every head coach and we kind of got to wait and see. So I, I had a good time and, you know, Trent Dilfer is a guy who has always had people telling him he can't do things. He won a Super Bowl with the Ravens and then didn't get re-signed like the only quarterback that's ever happened to, but he spent another seven years in the NFL after that. Like the guy has always figured things out and I would not be surprised if he figures it out at UAB. All right, let's switch gears again to On the Rocks. Uh, it is time to talk it out. There is friction somewhere in this sport, and we are here to help work through it. This week's Rocky relationship is something that I think is near and dear to both of our hearts, and our colleague Stuart Mandel wrote a really good piece about it from the prism of Army football. And it's about Jeff Munkin and Army changing the way that they're running the triple option to run it out of the shotgun because of rule changes that have basically eliminated cut blocks from outside of the tackle box. And Chris, you cover service academies. I've covered the service academies my whole career. Um, we've done their state of the programs. We talk to their coaches. We understand how and why this works. We both come or covered army Navy. It's an interesting inflection point as, as Stu wrote about it for the style of play Navy also has a new head coach for the first time in a very long time uh, after King Ken Niamatololo was fired. So let's just break this down. Um, first of all, do you think that the service academies can win, can have a distinct style of play, even with this rule change? Yes. I mean, look, Air Force has been a really good program for a very long time. And the teams run different kinds of triple options. We don't need to get into it. I don't know all the intricate details of the various X's and O's. Air Force runs a little bit different style. Um, but the, the rule that you can't cut block outside the tackle box anymore that went into place last year, that scared a lot of option coaches. Uh, 
I think that's one reason why Army is doing this. I think it's probably one re- another reason Army is doing this is because Jeff Monken knows he is good enough to get a Power 5 coaching job, and that hasn't happened, and the triple option is something that holds him back in the eyes of athletic directors and fans. Because remember, Kenny Matalolo almost got the Arizona job until Khalil Tate tweeted, I ain't playing in that offense anymore. And so that got that, – that, that moment – put a scar on triple option coaches for a long time uh, when that happened. And so I think there's, there's part of that too. Stu's story did a really good job of covering all angles of it. Army, like the idea is like, Hey, maybe you do something more like coastal Carolina, which is a triple option type of offense that involves a lot of passing. The, the thing is there, you have really good quarterbacks. You have Grayson McCall who's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And so that is a little bit different. Willie Fritz kind of ran some similar stuff at Tulane, although he's not quite doing that. Uh, anymore but he's got a triple option background at, at, at spots as well coincidentally i talked to brian newberry the head coach at navy on monday and he said they are adding some shotgun stuff they are adding tight ends as a full-time position but for the majority of it they are going to be a under center option team and he didn't buy the part about the rules. He, he said, look, they've been, they've been changing these rules for a number of years now and rushing yards for the academies have gone up. So he doesn't seem to think it's much of a problem. Option coaches think the rule changes citing injuries are kind of BS, which Paul Johnson and others said in the story. So I don't know. I think there are, I think there are greater issues that are hurting service academies that are not blocking rules i think it's stuff like transfers you you, they can lose transfers they can't really add transfers they can't do nil they can't do a a lot of things i think there's larger forces that are impacting and hurting the service academies more than blocking rules but it is going to be extremely weird to see army doing this now now they're not going to pass a ton but they are going to be out of the shotgun more right i I think what you mentioned about the way that that offense is viewed and the fact that we, we know Jeff Munkin has, you know, been interested in bigger jobs or been approached or had conversations about them. It, it is this idea, like you and I have talked about this. It's kind of like an evolution of the game because what coastal is doing is really interesting, right? And it's effective. And there's lots of elements of RPOs in the way that different coaches use them that have a lot of option principles, right? But it does, it is a hard sell to hire, you know, an under center option coach. And then even if they want to change based on personnel and resources and not having, you know, all these restrictions on on the types of players that you're going to be playing with in terms of body size and recruitment and all these different things at service academies, that that piece is is an interesting one just in general and and i think you know it, it's it's explored a little bit in the piece but um it, it's also a, a dynamic here as well about just sort of trying something different and seeing what happens with it um for, for jeff munkin i i also I, I spoke to steve shaw who's the uh ncaa's um the rules guy and he was walking me through the rule change and also the fact that the NCAA has gotten data. He wasn't able to share it with me because it was presented to them, but it was information about injuries, especially like lower leg and knee injuries since they've started to tweak and change some of the rules around blocking below the waist. Um, 
And they basically have data since 2019, and it has shown a statistically significant decrease in injuries. So I know the coaches are upset about this and frustrated, but I do think, you know, a lot of these rule changes are coming from the idea that like you're moving into an area where everything you make changes for really better be for the health and safety of the athletes. And we've seen that with kickoff rule changes. We've seen it with, you know, kind of the, the, the defense of targeting rules and, and not loosening them up is it's, you're trying to incentivize the right type of teaching of how to tackle, how to do these things and to avoid injuries. And so um, I, I think that's an important angle too, that the NCAA believes that this is working as intended and they know that the service academies, you know, feel that it is, you know, specifically aimed at them, but it is based on like the injury surveillance data that they have. And, you know, Steve Shaw also pointed out that there are rules at other levels of football, you know, they're not exactly the same in high school and NFL, but everyone is trying to get rid of the types of injuries that occur on cut blocks. So um, I thought that was an interesting point from, from that side of things. Yeah. I mean, army was down last year. Navy was down last year. It's very difficult for all of them to be up because they all recruit the same players, especially Navy and army. So it's kind of a different approach here. And I'm kind of curious. They both have new offense coordinators. So it's going to be a new look a bit uh, army Navy game by the time we get to that in December. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we go here, I think uh, we got to wrap up as we always do with our last calls, cheers or jeers, anything that we want to get off our chest as we might as the bar is closing one last drink, either a rant or a rave. Um, and and Chris, I'll, I'll go first here. You mentioned the FSU uniform news, and there have been a couple of really awesome developments on the the uniform and logo front. Um, I think that FSU kind of going back to, as you said, kind of like to you, their gold standard, like their best uniforms uh, is, is obviously a positive. I think everyone should be playing in their absolute best uniforms. This is something that like, I'm so glad that Pitt eventually just stayed with their color scheme and their logo. You know, like it was so clear that that was the superior uniform and they would only use them as alternates. So a couple of other really positive developments that I want to shout out. So first of all, Maryland is sticking with the script Terps. That will be their full-time uniform. Very much anything that has script, I think automatically looks better than any other uniform variation. But Maryland's had some wild uniforms over the years. And I just think that this is clean. It looks good. Love the script. The helmets are going to look really sharp. So love that move for Maryland. And it's interesting, too, because as they announced it, and it was the same with this school that I'm about to mention, but they like put out a video basically saying the fans have been asking for this. Like, you guys want this. And it was the same thing in Nebraska. Nebraska has been really in this dynamic of like, okay, how do we how do we celebrate and embrace our past 
but also focus on the present and the future, right? And we've seen this dynamic play out over a number of different head coaches, right, in recent years of like that tension. And, you know, one of the first things when Trev Alberts is introducing Matt, Matt Rule is like, we're going to stop talking about championships from the past. And we're going to focus on what we need to do each day to build this program to be a good football program. And it, it reminded me of that when I was thinking about how they uh, unveiled modernized Herbie Husker logos that are basically a, a, a delightful call to the past of, of how these work. They're going to have different Herbies for different sports, very similar to like the pistol Pete's that get different, like they get, you know, an, an accessory or like sports, the, but they're sport the, specific. The sport. Every sport yeah, so has like, its own one. Yeah. So they're holding the equipment for that sport and like they're, they're very fun. Um, and it was, it was cool because it was something when Trevor Alberts was announcing this, he was saying that this, that Herbie Husker has been one of the iconic symbols of Nebraska athletics for nearly 50 years. And the fans want Herbie. They want more things Herbie. And so I just like that people are looking in their past, finding logos or uniforms or whatever that people really, really resonate with and just sticking with it. Just bring it back, put it everywhere. People are going to love it. And I just, I, these three FSU, Maryland and Nebraska, I just thought they all nailed it this week. And so it's getting me excited about the fall. It's getting me excited about all these things because I just feel like everyone's going to look the way that their fans really care about and that they want them to look, they're going to be using the logos and the little, the little Herbie Huskers, you know, like that's just, it's, it's going to be good. And I, I enjoy that. And I think that those are the, the pieces of college sports that really matter to a lot of people because it's not pro sports. You don't just swap out to alternate jerseys or they haven't changed a lot over the years. Um, but people have all of these, you know, kind of historical favorites and it's cool. So shout out to the uniform and the logo reveals and all the things that we've gotten this week, especially the three that went back to their roots. And uh, I just, I just, I'm really excited to see them. This was going to be my cheers, but you took it because I have so many thoughts on this. I the, 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 wrote it first. I no, no, you, it got, you, you got first. it. You got it. Yeah. You completely yes. got it fair and square. My reaction to all of this was that I think we're going to, we're going to look back on the 2010s as an absolute horrible decade for college football uniforms. And we are seeing more and more schools going back to something that just looks a lot better. Like when I saw the new Florida state uniforms, I legitimately got goosebumps. I was like, this is Florida State football. This is excellence. When I see this uniform, it makes me think of those Florida State teams that were finishing the top five every single year. And now Florida State's good again, so it's a good time to do that. It's perfect. The Maryland thing, Under Armour tried to make Maryland their Oregon. Like, we we, we, we know that. That was a whole attempt. It was a, I, I think, out, as being someone not in Maryland, you know, our colleague Seth Emerson defends the Maryland state flag and all that, and all that kind of stuff. But the Maryland flag stuff was just so bad and not because the flag is bad. I actually think it's a top 10 state flag. It's because it just didn't make sense at all. That just the, the vis it was not sharp looking. It looked like someone threw up on the uniforms. They did that star spangled banner uniform that one time that was just freaking weird as hell. And nobody like connected with the Maryland state flag uniform when that's your entire uniform. They're going back to Terps. I really hope Maryland basketball goes back to the arching Maryland 
on the basketball jersey, we associate that look with excellence again. So we'll have to wait and see. But positive step here for Maryland. And then with Nebraska, all I could think about is that Herbie Husker always has that ear of corn holstered. Like he's got it on ready if he needs to pull it out at some and, point. And it's half, like half, you know, like husk. Oh, like it's. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's ready. Open. Like if you need to yeah, no. cook or hand out or give someone corn, it's, it's ready. It's halfway open. The corn, the corn is at the ready. And yes, every school should have sports specific cartoon versions of their mascot. Pistol yes. Pete. The, the best part about the Pistol Pete is not even the sports ones. It's the ones that are for the various schools within the college at Oklahoma State. I'm here in Dallas. There are a lot of Oklahoma State veterinarians here. And one of the places I went to, um, next to the vet's name, it had Herbie Husker, or I'm sorry, it had uh, Pistol Pete dressed up like a doctor, like in the vet. <laughs> like, like, it's just like, that's like, that's, that's branding. Like, we went through this era in the 2010s where everything had to have the exact same font and the exact same logo. And everything looked uniform, and that was your that was the big branding push. No, you gotta like put fun twists on these various things. And so Herbie Husker with a bowling ball, because Nebraska's got a great women's bowling team. Nebraska Herbie Husker in the wrestling singlet, like all this stuff. Like that's awesome. That is the fun of college sports. And I'm very glad to see Nebraska get this. So Florida State, Maryland, Nebraska, well done across the board. A lot of people need to continue this trend. I will make a note to ask you about the other top nine state flags in your list because you said Maryland was a top 10. So yes. I, I don't, I can't even picture a lot of state flags offhand, but I'm sure you have hot takes on it. So we will get to that at some point this off season. Cause I am curious, but that will do it yeah. for this week's power. No, 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 I, I haven't done, I haven't done my cheers yet. I haven't done my no, cheers. That yet. is your, that was a cheers. No, I was agreeing with those. Mine's real quick, real quick. Okay. Cheers. Okay. Cheers to the XFL overtime, which I think college football should add. The XFL overtime is they go directly to the two point shootout, but they do a they do a best of three. Uh, they do they, you get three attempts. It's like college, it's like soccer penalty kicks. It's not just one and one. So I, f- I I feel like college football should do that after the two overtimes. If we're gonna do the shootout, do your normal two overtimes and then do a best of three two point shootout because I don't like when we get to a third overtime. You do one two point shootout and it's over. It's very anticlimactic. Do a best of three like the XFL does. I watched it this weekend. Very cool. So college football should do that. Huge XFL guy, Chris Vanini. He's been watching a lot of it, getting totally all in. Um, Again, this will do it for this week's Power Hour. Next week, Chris and I will have insights from that spring CFP meeting just outside of Dallas um, and probably lots more. But we just want to thank you for listening. We will talk to you next week. For Chris Vanini, I'm Nicole Auerbach. This has been Power Hour.